0: When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, and sometimes you just feel like the pain will never go away. But I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life with meaning and purpose. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. I am so very excited today because I have a very special guest this week, Katherine Monaco-Douglas. She, I, I don't even know where to begin. She has done so much for the widow community, mainly in Long Island. Um, she became a widow 21 years ago this past Friday, and she was 42 years old, didn't really know where to turn for su- for support. Uh, so today, she's going to share her story and her experience and how she took all of these events that happened to her along the way. And she learned how giving back helps us heal. So I want to hear everything. Catherine, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share my story with everyone. I truly appreciate what you're doing with the podcast. I I feel like it's helping a lot of widows out there. Um, So when you say... When you say that I lost my husband 21 years ago and I was 42 now, everyone knows how old I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, I'm going to say just this, that after dealing with so much loss for the past 15 years, um, facilitating bereavement groups, I am not shy about my age. I'm proud to be my age because not everyone gets to grow old. And that's one thing that I learned from the very beginning. That it's, an, it's a blessing to grow old, and we should appreciate every day.
0: Yes. Well, like we do on, our, on the podcast here, we usually start with the story of how you became a widow. So if we could start there with your husband, Larry. What happened to Larry?
1: So Larry had a uh, birth condition of his right arm. Um, it was something that he was born with that would hurt him seasonally and um, he would get these um, lumps like, like they called them hemangiomas. He would get them seasonally, but it wasn't anything that restricted him from working or doing, it wasn't a handicap. He played guitar, he did a lot of things, Um, but it was there. So he woke up in the morning and he had a pain in his armpit and he had had this a year before. And the year before uh, he went into the shower and he screamed for me in the shower and he said i i i felt like i was going to die not just passed out but i felt like i was going to die and i was like oh my goodness and he was like white as a ghost and i help him to the bed and I, we have to go to the doctor and all along we were going to the doctors in manhattan the big specialist because his arm um, was unusual so we would go to specialists but he didn't want to travel an hour to the city and he was like let's just go to long island to a doctor there so i looked up a specialist and we went there and the specialist said um and he probably had a little blood clot and it probably came from me sleeping on him we used to cuddle and sleep <laughs> and we did that for at that point we were married 18 and a half years and the doctor said um go home and no more sleeping on each other. That's it. Oh. And it was, it was really difficult. Like I would throw my leg on him, my arm <laughs> on him. Like I was so used to sleeping on him. So for that whole year um, we were like weaning off of each other, not knowing that a year later he was going to pass away. Oh my God. So, and then a year later he wakes up with the same feeling. So the first thing he's like ignoring it and then, The next day, feeling it stronger, he said, you know, I'm just going to go to the doctor. And I was like, not without me. He says, I think I might have the blood clot again because it's in the same spot and it's really bothering me. And he didn't do anything extra. We didn't know why, but we went to the same doctor and the doctor wasn't in the office. We told the nurse, we think it's a blood clot and we're not leaving till we get a sonogram. And she said, okay. And she got us permission and we got the sonogram. And while the technician was looking up the notes, so Larry died on January 15th. The technician says, Do you know you were here January 14th of last year? What? It's like God gave him one year. Because the next day he he passes away. So it was one year. She goes, You were here? No, we were there January 15th, and we were of the year before, but it was January 14th that we were taking the second test. So he died exactly one year from the first time he had the blood clot. And she takes the sonogram and we wait two hours for the results and the doctor's not in the office and they tell us um, to go home and take it easy and come back on Monday. This was um, a Saturday, a Friday. He died okay. on Saturday, I'm sorry. So the next day I went out to the store cause I had nothing in the house cause we used to go out on a Saturday night Said so nothing in the house. So I was like, "Let me just run to Costco, pick up some stuff, and I'll come back." And when I came back, he was gone. Um, yeah. The last, yeah, my daughter, do- I, my daughter, I walk in the house. My daughter says, "I've been trying to wake up Daddy, but I can't wake him up." And my brother-in-law happened to be in the house with my three-year-old nephew, and my brother-in-law is a firefighter. And when, when she said that, I went running up the steps, calling him. And I, we open the door and we find him. And the rest is the, my whole life turned around, like you know, from your how, own story. Like, how, old were, how old was your daughter? My daughter was 11. Um, oh God. So and my three-year-old nephew was there. And uh, later on, it does affect my nephew. Um, he did have flashbacks of what happened. You'd think that a three-year-old doesn't know what's going on, uh, but they do. Yeah. Um, he had separation anxiety when he was in school with my sister, but we didn't know what it was, and we found out later that it was associated to what he had seen. Oh my God, so I always share that in my groups that we think that children don't see things, but they do especially so young. yeah, you don't think that it affects them. yeah, so um so after that, it was trying to find my way. You know, I was devastated at everyone in my house. It was horrible, you know
0: yeah, um, <clears throat> so you had uh you had called nine one one and you
1: were son, trying you know, we to do something to do. We tried to do CPR on him. Uh, my brother-in-law because he's a firefighter, he broke down the door. My daughter locked the door. Uh, we believe that he was on his way into the shower because he was naked. My daughter opened the door, saw him naked, locked the door and closed it again. Uh. That's why she said, I can't wake up daddy. She tried calling him on the phone and he wasn't picking up. So she used her senses to try to get him up, but she didn't know why he didn't want to wake up. Yeah. She she didn't put it together. Like, I guess death is not on your mind when, you know, as a kid and, um, I happened to have an extra neighbor that's a doctor and they, he came over right away and Larry didn't have to stay in the house. They just kept doing CPR on him and they took him out of the house, which thank God for my children. Um, so my children were 18, 14 and 11 at the okay. time that Larry passed.
0: I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you, how to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10 step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. 18, 14 and 11. Oh, goodness. So at that point, did you think that it was a blood clot? Oh, yes. You knew for knew sure. It. Like you knew because. I knew it. Yeah.
1: And um, I had a little medical background because I was a respiratory technician before we got married. I went to school for medical assisting and I worked for doctors and stuff. So I had a little medical background and I knew if it was a blood clot, we weren't. he wasn't coming out of that CPR. I knew there was nothing we could do to bring him back. And because um, I had a neighbor that was a doctor and a lawyer that came over to help, the lawyer said to me, oh, this is medical negligence right away. Mm. So I pursued pursued that and I did win the case and it was very bittersweet because it doesn't bring my Larry back, but it proves that um, it was negligence And I I know everyone feels like their spouse doesn't have to die, but it was like they didn't have to because he should have been sent to a hospital and put on blood thinners. In fact, the lawyer says he should have been on blood thinners the first time he had the blood clot. Yeah. They didn't put him on anything. They just told me not to sleep on him. That was the remedy. No. So (laughs) yeah. So that wasn't, it wasn't enough. You know, he needed more and we didn't know it. We were, um, naive to what was needed. And even what my medical background, I didn't think I just felt I didn't sleep on him. He wouldn't get a blood clot. Yeah. How you old know? was,
0: how old was Larry when he, he was, was 44, 44. Okay. Yeah. Um, so tell me what happened with Larry. This was, um, what was it, a couple of weeks before he passed away when he was talking to you? um,
1: Yeah, a couple of weeks. um, Before he passes away, he calls me from work and he says to me, um, I feel like I have no more goals. And I'm like, where the heck is this coming from? What do you mean you have no more goals? What are you talking about? He says, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I just feel like I have no more goals. I'm like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even addressing this. And I hung up the phone on him. It was like something that just ticked me off, you know? And he came home and he took my hand and he brought me into the den and he held both my hands. And I have to say, in my whole marriage, I don't remember him ever like feeling so strong that he didn't want me to be washing the dishes, doing laundry, setting the table. He wanted me, both my hands and my eyes directly looking at him. And he held both my hands and he said, look at me. I need to tell you how I feel. And I was like, okay, tell me how you feel. He said, I feel like I have no more goals. And I was like, oh, we're back to this again. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I want to talk about this. It's important to me. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. What is it? Why don't you feel like you have any more goals? He said, I feel like you and I. The love that we have everything's like good like you know how you have rough times in your mouth we were like really good yeah we had like a good understanding you know and our kids used to fight when they were little and now they're at an age where my boys used to hug each other when they would see each other people would say how do you get your boys to do that and it was like so much work to get them to love each other and show that outwardly you know so he said he felt like we were good, the kids were good, his business was flourishing so he felt like he reached he didn't have anything else like i guess to look forward to but it was just strange how he used the word goals i didn't even know he had goals until he said that right
0: right and very specifically saying yes goals i have goals, goals. yeah
1: and i said to him what about like our kids growing old and get you know what about us what about like having grandchildren someday or them going to college like and here I am, I'm like fantasizing a life that I'm living right now. And I'm thinking, don't you want to have that with me? And he said, I don't even know what it is. It's just a feeling. Oh and, I've, and I feel like I have to share it with you. Oh, my God. So the night that Larry died, um, everyone's in my house. People are gathering and everyone's pushing me to the front of the, the entrance of my home and they're saying that there's somebody there to see me. And I'm asking everyone, I'm so distraught, why would God do this? Why would he take a good man? Why would he take a father of three children? Why would this happen to us? I don't understand, what did we do wrong? Like, I just kept questioning. I, I, I really didn't, I, you know, I was a lukewarm Catholic. I never opened the Bible. I didn't know what it said. I was looking for someone to give me some answers, just like why, why would this happen? It was so Mm -hmm. surreal. Yeah. And this woman comes to my door who worked in the church. She was a a Eucharistic minister. And um, she came and she was holding a little cup with little uh, medals in it. And they were pushing me towards her. And now she's like two feet in front of me. And she looks me right in the eye and she says, Catherine, this is for you. And she holds up this medal. And she said, "Um, God has a goal for larry and when she said that i like zoomed back onto the couch in my memory to him holding my my hand saying he had no more goals
0: and i like
1: the hair on the back of my neck stood up and i said what did you say like no one knew that story but me it was just the two of us and she said god has a goal for larry oh my god I just got chills too. She gave me the answer that I was (laughs) asking everyone, and I went, "That's it. God has a goal for Larry. That's it. That's why he's not here." Not (gasps) even knowing, like, like what that was was an answer.
0: The hairs on the back of your neck. But did that did that make you feel at all like? any relief or just like something like peace came yes. over you
1: yes i felt like god was talking to me oh, the yeah. metal i never took the metal off in fact it hangs on a, a crucifix on the side of my bed i never took it off i was like attached to it and the funny thing is that larry had one thing on him because he was naked he had one thing on him that the undertaker gave me in an envelope and it was a quarter <gasps> and i was i said to the other he had nothing on him he was naked but maybe somebody doing CPR. I don't know, a quarter fell on him. And I held it up and I looked at it and it said, God, we trust. Yes. Oh, Catherine. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, we we were getting signs right from the beginning from him, right from the beginning. It was amazing. And I never looked at that, what happened with him as a premonition until years later in therapy. Um, that a therapist had said to me wasn 't it wonderful had God gave Larry a premonition he and I did. was like he did. He told he him his did. life was done yeah oh,
0: that 's so beautiful and amazing and heartbreaking at the same time,
1: you know all of it just and it it was comforting for us like yeah. it made it made me seek other things it made me- you know it took me further. It didn't let me stop right there. It made me seek more. So now I can tell you, um, this is the third time I'm reading my Bible <laughs> <laughs> because um, now I understand a lot more, uh, which helps me in a faithful way. And um, the groups brought me to that. So, But let's talk about what
0: happened immediately after. Okay. So immediately after you have this person show up at your house and you get, a little bit of an answer, uh, that there were goals, God had goals for him. So you get a moment of peace, but then, you know, you, it kind of wears off <laughs> and then you're back to frantic panic mode. Um, yeah,
1: a lot of fear,
0: a lot of fear, um, self doubt. You feel lost all of those things. Where did you turn to at that point? Um, how did you handle all of, the, all of the stress that you were dealing with? Did you find any groups at that point? I'm asking you a lot of questions, but did you go to therapy
1: right away? Like, what did you do? I did. I, did. I, went, I went to a therapist. Um, I was going to her late at night after I was working. Um, and she wasn't a good therapist. She was uh, in her 60s. And she probably should have retired because when I was talking to her, she would close her eyes. And after the first time she did that, I was insulted. I didn't say anything. The second time I went in, I said to her, are your eyes closed while I'm speaking? And she said, I'm listening with my eyes closed. And I thought to myself, like, that's what I used to do with my daughter when she would read me a story late at night and I was (laughs) tired and I would try to fall asleep while she was, and I was so insulted. I never went back. So I didn't, I didn't have uh, the resources to look up another therapist. I only knew this one. And so when that experience happened, I didn't tell myself, well, go get somebody else. I just said, that's it. I'm done with therapy. Yes. And then my, my sister uh, was trying to help my children and I. She signed my, myself and my kids up for uh, bereavement. And the bereavement in our area doesn't start until three months after your loss. So you have to wait. That's crazy to me. Three months felt like hell on earth, honestly. Um,
0: Why three months? I don't understand though. What is the the
1: logic behind three months? That's when you need it. You need it immediately. Everyone that comes into my group says that to me, that when they were rejected from this other group, that they didn't understand. I even had a social worker come in my group and she says, oh, but I'm not three months. I said, oh, please come into the group so I could show you why we don't wait three months. And I said, well, we don't care. People repeat. If you feel like you can't concentrate, you can't take in what we're saying, you repeat. But at least we're there with you. You're not alone. Yeah. You know? So
0: you so you did go to this group after three months. You waited the three months. Right. It, And you went
1: to the group. I went to the group. I was, it was reluctant though, because even though I wanted it, there was a part of me that didn't want it. Like nobody wants to be a widow, nobody, you know, and then you're looking, they're widows in the room and you're a widow and you don't want to be that, you know, you don't even want the title. You just want to still be you, you know? And I felt like Larry wouldn't even want me in there, you know? Yeah. And I was, I had to make an adjustment to this new normal that I wasn't ready to accept. But I sat in there and um, that's where I met my husband now, Scott. There was an empty seat that was next to him that I sat in. And everyone was sitting around the circle. I, I always say it reminded me of that movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where they're all sitting around in a circle and they're all sharing the details of their loss. And I'm listening to these stories, and I'm and by the time they got to me, I was hysterical. I could barely, I mean, I had one tissue that was all, I, it was like nothing by the time I was done, because I couldn't stop sobbing. And then um, when I left, there, I was going to kill my sister for putting me in a bereavement group, because oh, I no. was like, how could you put me in this? Oh, but no. Then, The next week came, and I thought, well, it's a Wednesday night. Nothing's going on on a Wednesday night anyway, so I might as well go. Yeah. (laughs) I kept fighting it, but I knew nothing else was happening in my life. There was nothing. Friday night, I was home alone. Saturday night, I mean, I had my kids, but they all went into their rooms and did their things. Yeah. I kind of think they were escaping a little bit, too, at the time. You know, they didn't want to be around sad mommy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you met Scott right
1: away? I met him in the group, but we didn't, you know, we were just both grieving and I met a, another guy and another girl. And at the end of that group, I felt like I didn't have enough. I went to go into another group. It felt like, you know, after 19 and a half years of marriage, I felt like eight weeks was not enough as far yeah. as bereavement help because I had no therapy. This was all I had. Yeah. And this is the only connection I had. So I went into the next group and they're sitting around the circle, sharing the details of their loss. And I was like, I can't do this again. Yeah. This is horrible. Who, who made these rules? Like who makes the rules for bereavement? Where does this come from? Like even like, you know, like the five stages man i had like 20 stages right who had five stages you know and i kept thinking i was a failure because i kept saying well i'm not in that stage When is no, that I stage know. gonna hit me you know so like all these rules that you know especially back in my time when when i was larry there was a lot so you think you're I, doing it wrong you're yeah i can't even grieve right i can't get to that stage i'm not there yet you know how could you be in denial? You're, he's not in your bed. He's not there in the morning. He's not there at night. I kept saying, but you know, where's the denial? Is it because I don't believe this really happened? Like, what's the denial? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> so when I left the second group, and I'm hysterical crying because I stormed out of there, I told myself that if I ever got through this, I was going to go back and I was going to help others because it was wrong the way they were treating me. It wasn't I was in so much pain. Yeah. I was in so much pain. I had suicidal thoughts. I was really hurting. And I couldn't find anyone to help me. So I started to put my group, the few people that I did connect with, and say, Let's meet next week. Let's meet next week. And so Scott was one of those people. Okay. And we kept meeting and it was like for a year we just kept meeting every week. And then the other girl dropped out. It was me and these two guys. We went to parents with our partners dance. We went out to dinner. We would have conversations about the kids. They would tell me about the girls they were dating. And I constantly would say, it's not for me. I'm never going to date. I'm never going out. Yeah. And then the other guy asked me if I would go to the movies with him six months after my loss, just as friends. And I, in one second, the thought came into my mind, if somebody saw me with him, they wouldn't know that it was just his friends. Right. It's, it's amazing how you're so worried about what other people are going to think about you when you're going through this. Like, what do I care what they think? They don't have to go to sleep alone. They don't have no. to wake up alone. It was only his friends. You know, why was I so worried with other people? I just felt so guilty, like somebody was going to think I was like cheating on Larry, you know? right and then another six months go by and um Scott asked me if I would have a cup of coffee with him Mm -hmm. and um I said no no I can't do that and I went home I said to him I don't know when I'm going to be ready um I said to him if I was ever going to date anyone it would have to be someone like you because he was such a sensitive like he would cry about Sally and he was, you know, some of the people in the group when they shared about their partners weren't so kind. Like one guy said, I'm dating already. It's two weeks. I want to live life. And I was like, I didn't wow. even move Larry's slippers and he's out dating. Another yep. another person said, I threw out all my wife's crap. I was like, what? This stuff was crap? <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I was cringing. Yeah. But Scott wasn't. He Him and I kind of resonated because he was saying things like, you know i don't know how i'm gonna do this without her yeah and kind of had the same kind of thoughts i had like like he loved her and i loved larry like we both loved our partners and we were struggling with that so i said to him if i was ever going to date anyone it would have to be someone like you and he said you would date me and i said no i didn't mean that <laughs> then i didn't want to hurt his feelings and he said if you would date me i won't date anyone I'll wait for you. And I'm like, no, 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 don't wait for me. It may take me two years, maybe three years. I don't know how long it's going to take me. And he says, well, I'll wait. Oh, wow. (gasps) And I went into my house and I'm all alone now. Kids were all with their friends. And it was a Friday night, Saturday night alone, Sunday again alone, another long week, another Friday night. And then that Saturday I sent him an email and I said, you know what? I'll have that cup of coffee. (laughs) Because I said to myself, if I don't change anything, nothing's going to change. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I was so lonely. I really felt really lonely. I never knew that we were going to end up together and get married. I told myself, what's a cup of coffee? (laughs) (laughs) So never underestimate a cup of coffee. (laughs) Uh, A cup of coffee. So
0: when did you guys end up getting married?
1: Uh, five years uh, later, um, we, we're we married now 16 years uh, last September, which is odd because Scott was married to his first wife 14 years. Oh, wow. So we're married longer than he was to his first wife, um, yeah. which is weird. There's all different uh, plateaus that you go through during your widowhood. And I always consider myself a widow, even though I'm married to Scott. Because I still love Larry and I'm still Larry's girl too. Like it's such a conundrum, you know, to love two people and, and, you know. It is. It feels like to me,
0: it's like these two different lives. You know, I had like this life that I had before that was this person in this life. And then now I'm this person in this life. It's such a strange feeling because that love was there in, it's there in both. And I'm the Absolutely. same person, yeah. but living person two different right? lives. It's such a strange feeling. Like you said, it's, it's different. Um, but um, I wanted to ask you, so you had, you got married after five years and then it was shortly after that, when you decided to really continue the groups
1: that you were putting together. Yeah, That's when so, you kind of pushed it a little bit further. Yeah. And you- I, didn't, I didn't do any groups until after Scott and I were married. Okay. I wanted to make sure we were good. So Scott had three kids. Um, his kids were younger. Um, they were four, six, and nine when they um, four, six, and 11 when their mom died. So they were younger and yeah. my kid, I told you my kids' ages. So when, by the time we got married, they were a little bit older, the kids, but I wanted to make sure we were th- they were five years without a mom and they had so many nannies that they really needed like structure. Oh, wow. Yeah. 31 nannies. <gasps> 31 what? nannies from the time Sally was sick to the time she passed. So for two years, she was sick. And he just, they kept quitting, just leaving the kids it was terrible what they did to his kids, honestly. So I told Scott that I wanted to adopt the kids because I wanted to be that one other person than him, than him that would never, ever leave them. So I did, I adopted them. And after one year that we were married, I said to him, now I want to go back and start the groups. Um, Because we were, you know, we was, we weren't perfect, but (laughs) we were working on it. The, the, You know, blending the kids was a lot of work. Yeah. And I offer that to people in the group. We do talk. I have uh, people come in and we talk about blending of the families. It's really challenging. Like people think you meet someone and you're good and you're not because they have their kids. You have your kids. We had to buy a new house. You don't want to put them in your house. They're territorial of their own things. It was a lot of work that Scott and I had to put in to make it right. So I wanted to make sure that we at least had a year and then I was ready to start the groups. And, um, the first, when I first started, I started, I figured I'll go back to where I went to group, mm-hmm. you know, I figured, you know, I'll help be an assistant or something. So I supported myself and the kids by painting. I painted okay. children's murals and I did decorative painting. Oh, um, wow. I couldn't go back to the hospital cause I'd have to go back to school and I had to get, my youngest one on the bus. So I had to do something right away. So I started painting. And I shared the work that I did in the five years, six years since Larry had passed. And I showed her that, you know, I painted, I supported myself, I sold my house, I bought another house. Like I did all these things independently. This is a person who didn't have an email address and didn't have to balance a checkbook. Like if I could do it, anybody could do this. And I want to share that with other women. I want them to know they could do this. Yeah. And she said, okay. She said, let, let us get back to you, but you know, you can't, we don't know if we could give you bereavement because you're not a social worker or a psychologist. That's and I was true. like, okay. So I left with that. And then she called me back to say that um, they could give me a chat group. You're going to love this one. I can give you a chat group for divorcees and singles. Uh, okay. I was like, what? I'm not looking for a job. I got a full-time job. I'm not looking to help divorce. I don't even know anything about divorce. You're single. I wouldn't know how to help them. Right. I like, thank you, but no, thank you. And when no. I was listening to the voicemail, Scott walks in and he goes, they just don't get it. No, they I'm don't. I'm like, no, it. people just don't get this widowhood thing. You know, they just don't get it. So no. I stay friendly with her. Um, and I, went to my church and I called the church and a little nun, Sister Anthony, answered the phone and she said, I can't believe you called me. I was just praying for help with bereavement. No way. So I went down there and she embraced me and she sent me for training. And after I went for training for two years, but after the first year I started my first group. Okay. And it was four, four older women. They I wanted to really concentrate on young people because I felt like there was a lot of bereavement for older, older widows, but there was nothing for us, anyone that was like in their 40s or 30s. So that was my concentration. And, but I had to start somewhere. And I felt like, well, let me start with them because they were easy for me. And it went good. And so that gave me the confidence to do the next group.
0: Yeah. So this training that you did was, it was grief facilitator. In the church. The training.
1: Okay. Yeah. It was like what, you know, sitting in workshops. Okay. And I think they just really want to see that you're in a good place. Yes. You know, I think one of the biggest things for me, like my first group, I remember I had a 35 year old woman who lost her husband to MLS Uh, and she started crying and she said he was so young. And she really pulled on my heartstrings and I went home that night and I cried for her and I cried for her husband. And I told myself that night, if you're going to do this, that is the last time you're going to cry for someone else. You have to bring them where you are. You can't let them bring you back to where they are. Oh my gosh. That is so incredible that
0: you said that. I just was thinking about that last night when I was thinking about this interview with you. And how you it's like your your energy has to be up here for what you do in order to lift other people up. All the time, yeah. You know, you have to be here and and not let it
1: no. Nope. I get can't you let back it get down. to me. Nope, I so can't. You you had I, to do that pep talk with yourself. <laughs> myself. I because I really felt that this was a calling. It was on my heart. I couldn't, when the first person rejected me, I, nope, I'm not letting that go. I got to find somewhere else. Where am I doing this? I find the church. They let me do it. I just, I haven't stopped for 15 years. I just, I have not, I have never missed a night, a group, except like, you know, like for a vacation where I go away and somebody covers me, but I haven't even, and I don't want to jinx myself, but I haven't even been sick where I miss a night because I'm sick. Wow. I have not missed a night since I started. And I just feel like, I don't know, it's just good because- I'm this is so the calling. This is what you yes. were meant to do. Yes.
0: So you started this, you started 15 years ago. And did you, um, so it is called Widow Not Alone.
1: Right. I go, yeah, Widow Not Alone. I'm on the internet under widownotalone.com. And you could see, um, you know, all the articles and stuff over the years and the groups. and. Um, so
0: you started doing these groups or do you do, um, is it eight weeks? Eight uh, week group. Like
1: group. Okay. Yes. So, so what I did was I broke all the rules. I, I bet <laughs> everyone in the neighborhood was cringing when I came out. So <laughs> I stopped the three month rule. I take anyone, someone called me and she I said to her, when did your husband die? She said yesterday. I said, okay, we start next week. Yeah. She came into my group the next week. They need so, you. Yes. They need you. She stayed with me for the eight weeks. She, now she's, so I broke the three month rule. Um, They told me anywhere from eight to 14 people, that was it. When the the 15th person called me somewhere back in 2010, I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm full. And she said, I don't have any children. She said, well, if there's an opening, please let me know. And I said, okay. And I hung up and something said to me, nope, that's wrong. I called her back. I said, I don't care if you're 15, I want you to come. And somebody dropped out. Um, And I was like, they took a space from her. And she would have lost the opportunity to be in the. So I never say no. <laughs> I, yeah. I keep taking them in. I keep taking them in. We've had pe- 25 people in a room, and although that's not desirable for a group, we make it work. Um, and now, so many of the people in my group have come back to be facilitators. I have 21 facilitators now from people that were in my groups in the past. So I have enough groups that. And I have more people training. We just keep splitting the groups so there's less and less people in each room to make it better. We keep trying yeah. to make it better. We keep trying to do the next right thing I keep yes. it's the next right thing yeah so you also do um,
0: it was a, a walk that you did yes it was, <clears throat> is that something that you started doing every year? Or do you do that? Yes
1: after the first year, I started. Um, listening to what all the needs were you know like some of them had different needs than I had I it's amazing when you start listening to all the different and I'm sure you're doing this with the podcast you see that everybody has a different way like we're all the same as widows we all feel the same pain and that loss and abandonment but we all have different needs so Mm -hmm. I started to see that a lot of women mostly had the need of financial needs Mm -hmm. that loss of income the secondary losses that we all feel And I was like, I wish I could help them. And then I thought, well, maybe if I did a fundraiser. So I put an ad in the newspaper and I, I was trying to advertise to do a walk and I did it. I did it in the middle of July. It was, happened to be a heat wave. I got 35 people. I'm a, I was a runner at the time. So five miles didn't sound like a big walk after we were halfway through everybody was begging me to stop. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we'll stop, and we'll get back, and then I learned my lesson, never to do a walk in the middle of a heat wave in July again, like, like there were so many things I learned along the way, I had no one guiding me, they left me on my, after my training, they left me on my own, the training was only to say, you're in a good place, you could do this, but it wasn't just guidance to say, this is how you have to do it, (laughs) so I started, my first walk was 35 people, and my last walk is this, here. Oh, God. It was over a thousand people.
0: That um, is crazy, Catherine. Okay, she's holding up a picture right now.
1: Yeah, and the and first,
0: yeah. This is incredible. All the people that she has yeah. involved in this. So I'm going to take a picture of that and I'll okay. post that on Instagram. It's um, called In
1: Memory of, and wow. we walk in honor of those who lost their lives too soon. And I have a DJ, we have games for the children, we give out free prizes, we have cotton candy. It was amazing, it was amazing. And last year we couldn't do it because of the pandemic, yeah. but we still got, the people in my group are so generous and the ones that do okay, wanna help the ones that aren't. Yes. I, this is, I, my group is like a family. We all love each other, we're all there, we're constantly talking on Facebook daily we're always, I'm always posting things for them, like to give them the encouragement. You could do this. You can. I did. Yeah. You can too. You got this. And I'm always like trying to inspire them to push themselves forward. Yeah. And anything they're struggling with, I just, I know I can't fix it. I always say I can't fix it, but I can help you get through it. And like someone in my last group said to me, so Catherine, how long was it before you got over, you know, Larry? And yeah. I went, I never got over Larry. Who said I got over Larry? Who said I ever got over this? (laughs) I never got over it. I just learned how to live with it. Exactly. it's, it's that post, you know, we don't get over it. We just learn how to get through it.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and I learned how to get through it by, you know, forcing myself to just push myself to do things. And I feel like I give them so much more than I had. I had nothing. You do. Yeah. So the other rule I broke was after the eight weeks, we don't disconnect. We stay together and the groups keep meeting. We uh, like nominate one person to keep the group going. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the groups continue and they meet and friendships have been together for years. That's what I think. You know, there
0: can't be a timeline on it because all these different issues come up and things come right. up later. <laughs> and so, the, and people get stuck on these timelines of, you know, I should be feeling like this at this point. I should be feeling better at this point. When am I going to get over it? That kind of question. But it's just an ongoing thing. And to have, right. to have that support, you know, for years down the road,
1: There's so many different things that the triggers that we don't know, even for myself, like Larry and I were married 19 and a half years. When the anniversary of his death was 19 and a half years. That was such a sad day for me. Yeah. It was like, he's dead as long as we were married. And my son said when it was 18 years for him, because he was 18 years old, he had that same, like he went right back to the beginning again, you know, and that day was like a day of grief. And like, I don't know that's coming. I know. That's the thing like we, and that's what I share in my group. Like, because there's so many people at different levels of loss, we all share. Well, this happened to me when I was five years and this happened, and some people said the second year was their hardest. And some people the third year was. For me, the first year was. So mm-hmm. we all have different perspectives on what's ahead, what might be ahead for you. And it's such a, um, a lighthouse in, in the storm. Yeah. Of what's ahead. You know, we, you know, we're in this storm. We're trying to get through the waves keep coming. And there's somebody at the end saying, it's okay. We're here. We got there. You can get there too. I know. I love that. <laughs> I do. I love that.
0: Um, so is, uh, is Scott
1: involved in uh- Scott is involved that he knows that every Wednesday night I'm not with him (laughs) I mean it even like it would be Valentine's Day and I'm not with him it would be my birthday his birthday like I don't miss a Wednesday night you haven't missed a Wednesday Uh, night nope I always say my group comes first (laughs) when it comes (laughs) to Wednesday night But but why can't we celebrate the birthday the next night I can't change the night of the group because of the church, but now we're on Zoom, so we have a little bit more flexibility than we did in the past. But he's a very understanding husband because he knows, he knows what I'm doing. He volunteers. Uh, we do a Halloween party in October, and he helps me, he runs the bar, and he helps me at the walk. On um, yeah. in the, in the walk, all the people in the photo that are in orange are my family, and my facilitators, Those are, and my friends. Those are my volunteers. So in the beginning, it was just my family and friends volunteered. And then as we started to grow, the facilitators then came in because I couldn't. we couldn't handle the crowds. We needed more yep. people. There's so, so many people. Volunteers. There are so many yeah. people in that picture. <laughs> and I have to say, it's so organized. We have these big raffle baskets that we raffle off. It's so organized how we do it. But we do it as a team and we have a system. That is so cool. Oh, so, yeah
0: so then with that with the fundraiser you have that money goes to the widows to the widows group so
1: the the group so when i do a group i always tell them in the group you know if you have financial hardship you know the church holds the funds which really helped me a lot so i don't have to deal with it they uh yeah inspect the person or you know interview the person to see that they're really in need of the financial help and then um, we help them out, yeah. You know, and we've helped out a lot, like with uh, bills and
0: different wow. things that
1: they can't pay, or they're struggling, or Christmas, or. And then there's oh, one, yeah. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was gonna say there's one girl out of the group that started another group, and she did like a meal train, oh, to yeah. help the widows, um, and and Christmas gifts for the kids. And it's really nice because they feel like they're special. Like we did some, you know, something more is being done for them.
0: Oh yeah. That is so, that is so amazing what you guys have, have done and how it's grown. It's incredible. It's like, it's it's like this ripple effect, you know, because you're, you're, you're kind of teaching them that this giving back, um, it is part of the healing process. It, it helps you heal when you can, you can give back and take that focus off of your pain and off of yourself.
1: Um, it just leads to really good things. Yeah. So this summer I trained 28 new facilitators. I trained some people from other states, hoping that they would start groups by them. Yeah. I, um, I'm in the process of publishing a book. Oh. on how to uh, facilitate a bereavement group. Oh, and I put all my, all my stuff that we've done and over the years, me and this other woman, Arlene, and some of the other girls that we put together, and I put them all in this book so that um, it could continue. It, it doesn't die with me. Like, yes. you know, as I see myself getting older, I'm like worried, how long can I do this for? And I don't want it to ever stop because there's always somebody else coming in. It's, especially now, like with COVID, like so many widows coming in and um, I want it to keep going. I, yeah. I just want, that's like the thing that I'm most concerned about that it does. So for the past, I started in October before the pandemic mm-hmm. and I, it took me over a year to write the book and it should be published in a couple of weeks.
0: Okay, I was going to so, say, when can we expect that to come out?
1: And yeah, then, in a couple of weeks. Okay. So that's that's in um, running a, a bereavement group, and I'm working on my autobiography. So because I feel that that would have to be connected to this book somehow, another book, right? So mark it on that. <laughs>
0: oh wow! So <laughs> what always, is the name? There's always what
1: is, something else, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah.
0: Um, what is the name of the of the book, the facilitator book?
1: Right, we're calling it a bereavement guide, a bereavement okay. guidebook, um, okay. just to help people that want to start this. They don't know where to look. I, I give them a lot of tips on where to look, how to start, all the re, all the places I researched, what I did, how I got started, how I got groups together, just the myriad of things that you right. need to get started and going, and oh, just that is made so it simple, cool. very simple. And so needed. So when I'm in the book, I'm almost done with it. And then we have the pandemic. So now I have to change some of the things I wrote because now we're doing it through Zoom. We're not doing it in person. <laughs> so it's got both things in there, the Zoom sessions and the and Oh, yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> well, God knew. So that's probably why he had me write the book. <laughs> there will be a um, lot more groups going on after this. Yeah.
0: I wanted to ask you just a couple of questions, but one, one of the questions that always, always comes up um, that widows struggle with, um, when did you
1: take off your wedding ring? took it off when I started dating Scott, and I did that because I didn't want anyone to think we were married. Okay. Because I would go out with him for coffee or whatever, and I thought it's just the two of us, and someone would think he was my husband. So I took my ring off. Okay, it's a that- weird reason, I know, but
0: no, it's not a weird. Yeah. Be- so that was that was a while.
1: Yeah, that you it, start. It was over a year.
0: Over a year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I always ask that question because it's always, it's always
1: a. Yeah. A lot of, I tell my girls, you do it when you're ready to do it. Don't let anyone make you feel forced. And some of them say I'm never taking it off. There's one girl that married someone she still keeps it on. She just oh, yeah. on the other hand, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a ring. It's, it's just, you know, if, it's whatever it means to you. My engagement ring I put into a necklace and so I could still wear it if I want to, you know, for something, it's still with me. Yeah. But Yeah. It's a hard thing. It's a hard call. Okay. <laughs> it's
0: just one of those questions. Yeah. But all right. Well, Catherine, oh my goodness. Um, you are just, it's just so incredible everything that you're doing. And, um, like I said, it's, uh, I think you're an incredible person and I think what you're doing and you're putting out into the world is just, it's beautiful and it's helpful. And I I hope that you know how much you're doing for all of these people. Like how much of an angel you are to all of these people. Thank you. Thank you.
1: And they Mm -hmm. are to me too, because I feel, you know, I didn't do it to heal, but I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about life. I really did. Like we have one night that we call spiritual night Mm -hmm. where we share signs and stuff like that. And the signs are so incredible that people get that it, that brought me to reading the Bible. Okay. So they brought me to just doing it, just helping people and this giving. And it's just, I always say there's no job you could do that could ever pay you back what you get when you help someone who's in the trenches of such pain yes you know so it's rewarding in that respect that i see them start and i see them later on as the years go on and laughing together and they have inside jokes in their group about how the stupid things people say to us yeah (laughs) so yeah there's definitely a, a camaraderie of friendship that only we get, like the inside jokes, you know, like when someone sh- compares their pet to your spouse, <laughs> you know, things like that that only widows get, the the head to the side, you know, we call it a quarter after two, you know, <laughs> when they're talking to, only, you know, so there's things that they could laugh about too, and not, you know, because they're years together, it's not just from the very beginning. yeah. And so I, the only thing I don't do is I don't take widows in our group that are years and years later, mm. like people will call me and they'll say, I'm 13 years. Can I come in your group? And I don't because we're early bereavement. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they were to come with early bereavement, that would be a setback for them Okay. You know, to listen to people, to go back to that. So that's the only thing that we don't do. We usually take them up to like six years, something like that. Okay. And I think that's, you know, but I feel like I was married and I went back after six years and I can't compare myself to everyone else, but I had nothing and I did that. Yeah. I had absolutely nothing. Yeah. So I feel like that's a good en- enough time to say not that you're over it, but that you're not going to want to sit in a bereavement group. True. Yes. Um,
0: I had another question and then I just forgot my question, but, <laughs> um, but yes, so we can find you. That was what it was. Just remind everyone where we can find you, um,
1: your website, the name of your group right. and all of so, that stuff. So um, I go dot widowednotalone.com on the web and I'm under widowednotalone on the Instagram And I'm on the Long Island Young Widow and Widowers group on Facebook Um, because we started, it was just Long Island, but since the uh, pandemic, we've taken people from all over. You know, now that we have the Zoom, so I always say there's a silver lining in everything. And for us in the grief world, I feel that Zoom has been a silver lining for us because we're able to reach, uh, you know, I'm doing one-on-one coaching um for people that aren't ready for a group okay you now so i'm i'm doing that as well i had i got my grief certification so i could do that and i'm just i'm so, always working i'm a retired person that works you, all the time
0: <laughs> <laughs> so everyone can reach you at widowednotalone.com yeah. we
1: can find everything uh, my phone okay. number's on there yes they can reach me there
0: well, that's great. I'm going to post everything too. I'll put a, a link in the show notes so everybody can find that. And then I'll have everything on, um, on our website too, uh, where to find you. That's so great. Catherine, thank you. thank you so much for talking thank to you. us today. You are such a joy and a blessing to so many people. Really. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I will talk to you soon. All right. I okay. appreciate
1: the opportunity.
0: Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Before we hung up on that Zoom call, but after I had already stopped recording, Catherine told me that she forgot to say that the groups and support that they offer through Widowed Not Alone is totally free. You just heard me. Yes, 100% free services. Go to widowednotalone.com to see the groups they offer, some of which include private groups from Loss of Suicide, private groups for those with no children. These are just a few of the examples of the groups that they offer. Go to widowednotalone.com. And also you can go to her Facebook page and Instagram at widowednotalone to get more information. So Catherine, oh my gosh, I hope you guys like that interview. She had a calling. She couldn't ignore it. It's that undeniably right feeling that we get down to our bones. Catherine followed her heart. And when you lead with love and good intentions, these giant breathtaking ripple effects take place. Catherine has helped hundreds of people, hundreds through her work. That's so powerful, right? Have I mentioned to you guys how much I love this? I love this. I love what she is doing. Anyway, here are the takeaways from the episode. Number one, two weeks before Larry died, he had a premonition and told Catherine that he didn't feel like he had any uh, any more goals in life. And for some reason, he had this feeling and he needed to tell her that. Number two, Larry had suffered from uh, a blood clot the year before he passed away. He ended up passing away when he was only 44 years old. Catherine was 42 and their children were 18, 14, and 11 years old. Number three, Catherine had a disappointing experience with traditional therapy and then also another disappointing experience with a local bereavement group. So she decided to start her own group. Number four, Catherine met Scott at the very first bereavement group that she went to. They started dating about a year after that first meeting and about a year after knowing each other, and then they married four years later, and now they've been married for 16 years. Number five, Catherine adopted Scott's children, and after one year of being married, she told Scott she wanted to go back and start the groups again. Number six, Catherine has grown her groups and expanded to include dozens of grief facilitators to help always keeping the meetings going every single Wednesday night. And Catherine has never missed a single Wednesday night in 15 years. That is how dedicated she is. Number seven, Catherine is in the process of writing a book about how to facilitate a bereavement group. It's in the editing phase right now as we speak, and it should be coming out soon. And she's going to call it the bereavement guide book. Number eight, Her Facebook group is called Long Island Young Widow and Widowers Group, but you can also find her at widownotalone.com. And there's one last thing I wanted to add for today. This message that I got from Katie, who was in our Widows Holiday Club, and she is such a treasure and now a person that I can call a friend. Here's what she said. Being a member of the Widows Club was a terrific opportunity to share with other women. We experienced a wide range of emotions in this group and I truly felt supported by amazing women. Jen provided interesting and insightful guests who helped us explore our feelings through tangible exercises. It was indeed a magical experience. And then she added, I loved your recent podcast with Doug, exclamation point. Thank you, thank you, Katie. Katie, you are awesome. You are such a sweet and beautiful soul. And if you want to listen to that episode that I did with Doug about dating a widow, that was episode 32. And for more information, more blog posts and resources, go to widow180.com and sign up to be on our email list. And you can also join our Facebook group. That's at Widow 180 Community with Jen Zwink. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, how to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. Head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.